Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now, this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is your space to explore mental health, personal development, and all the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. What's starting my podcast? That one wasn't very good. Sophie's not proud of me. Uh, uh, you know, they can't all be what's cracking my peppers. They can't even all be what's boiling my pig anuses, um, which, was, which was another, another hit. Uh, I'm Robert Evans. This is Behind the Bastards, a podcast where we talk about terrible people. But you know that if you're listening, because this is part two of, of the Georgia Tan story. And if why would you, why would you just be listening to part two first? Are you some, some kind of fucking maniac? I don't know. Did you murder a baby? Uh, Sophia Alexandra, uh, how are you doing? You're our guest for today. Uh, I'm comedian, doing great. Thank you so much for having host me. Host of the Private Parts Unknown podcast. That's right. Uh, kickboxing third place finalist in a... Actually, first place. Kind of upset that you would not mention that. Ooh. It's actually nude kickboxing. Nude so kickboxing. So it's actually a lot harder than regular kickboxing. <sighs> yeah, that seems a lot more I'm painful. pretty upset that I wrote down all my credits for you and you just kind of messed them up, but I'm, whatever. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, you I'm did sorry. not mention like at least three other things that I've done. I am also America's favorite lasagna. America's favorite lasagna. That is right. That is right. Thank you I'm, so I much. I apologize for, for mentioning that. that. And America's uh second favorite macaroni and cheese? Okay, yes. I don't like to talk about second place, but I am also America's I mean, that's, second favorite macaroni. Considering and cheese. the amount of mac and cheese in this country, pretty good. I mean, yeah. I I'm not trying to be falsely modest. Yeah. I am delicious. You are delicious. Thank you. Well, we're talking about someone who's not delicious. No. Georgia Tan uh, actually is a baby thief. And murderer. Yeah. 
and that's what we're going to talk about today. It's all the murdering. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Georgia Tan had a reputation for being rather fearless. This was helpful because her habit of abducting thousands of children from poor people occasionally brought violent threats down upon her head. According to Nellie Kent. Occasionally. Occasionally. Some people, I don't know, felt like it wasn't right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, she had uh, iron burglar-proof bars in the windows of, windows of her home, and over the course of her career, three separate people tried to kill her. But all of them apparently chickened out, either out of a reticence to take human life or because Georgia scared them away. Whoa. Yeah, she was supposed to be pretty terrifying. She was like a, a very large, imposing presence um, and, and very mean. And apparently, at least one case, like, screamed a guy away who had come to her house to get revenge. Just, wow. Yeah, she's... An imposing lady. I feel like it's like a challenge I'm being presented, but it's like way too late in history. You're yeah. like, yeah, Sophia, are you brave enough to kill her? Are you brave enough <laughs> like, to kill Georgia I Tan? I think I am, but yeah. it's too late. <laughs> now, Georgia's behavior was not strictly legal. There were actually laws in the U.S. about how to adopt babies, and she was in violation of basically all of them. In most cases, adoptive parents had to reside in the state they were adopting from. Surrenders of parental rights had to be confirmed in a court of law. Georgia Tan broke both of these rules flagrantly and regularly, in some cases on a near-daily basis. But also she had that judge in the, her pocket. She First did. was, like, Judge Daddy, and then the second one was that lady. That was crazy. Yeah, she... So she, like, did fuck with the legal system, but she, she like... But she also work for her. sometimes just stole babies. I mean, yes, yeah, obviously. Yeah. Uh, by the mid-1930s, social workers in Tennessee who weren't in Georgia's pocket had started to complain about all of the laws that she was breaking and babies she was stealing. Her connections to Boss Crump were enough to protect her, however. And in, in 1937, she's... I'm sorry, Boss Crump Boss is back Crump. from protecting the castle and the princess. I was going to say he sounds like a guy from the Dukes of Hazard. Old Boss Crump is in a real mess of trouble again. Ugh. Pissed at them Duke boys. Yeah, just really a great fake name. Yeah, it was a great fake name. But in this case, it was a real guy who helped Georgia Tan steal thousands of babies. Uh, in 1937, she succeeded in pushing through a new law which legalized adoption for out-of-state residents. This precedent would have a huge impact on the way adoptions are carried out nationwide moving forward, including today. Uh, the new law, however, did require adoptive parents to visit Tennessee before finalizing the adoption. But Georgia just ignored this part of it, and it was fine. Now, Georgia had started out as an employee of the Tennessee Children's Home Society, which was based out of Nashville. The director of the agency, Fanny Elrod, was a rather soft person, and Georgia basically bullied her into getting whatever she wanted. Fanny was scared of Georgia and basically refused to do anything about the many complaints made against her employee. Since the Children's Home Society did not have a license from the state, every adoption carried out by Georgia Tan in its name was technically illegal. But again, no one did anything to stop her, so it wound up not mattering that it was illegal. Also, once cool. you're getting, like, amazing newspaper coverage with your Christmas babies, mm -hmm. like, good luck taking that lady down. Yeah, what are you going to do? Everyone's like, she's a saint. She's the Christmas baby kid. Come on, she's the angel that gave people babies. Yeah, she's the baby And not the angel, angel of death. Not the angel of death. According to the book, The Baby Thief, quote, Georgia frequently falsified the birth dates of many children she placed for adoption. In every case which I, of which I learned, she reduced the children's age. She did this to satisfy clients' wishes for the youngest possible babies and to make the children appear bright, even precocious. While Georgia reduced the ages of babies by only weeks or months, she sub frequently subtracted years from the ages of older children. So, cool. Not dumb. She's like basically like Hollywood. Yeah. She's like, mm. <laughs> you're, I'm gonna be you're looking still. a little haggard at 10, yeah. so we're going to go ahead. I'm going to pull you down to a seven. Yeah. That seems better. Also, I just, I, 
something like just smart about being like, well, if I say this this uh, seven year old is four, then he seems smart. Yeah. Like then he's a really advanced four year old and not just a normal seven year old, and I can sell him to a richer family. They're like, stop saying this girl is seven. She has a full C cup. I mean, she's definitely <laughs> seventeen. <laughs> It does make me wonder what Ric Flair's real age is. Oh my god, I keep forgetting Ric Flair's one Ric of the stolen Flair. babies. It's the <laughs> stolen fucking craziest a baby. thing. Poor Ric Flair. It's got to be traumatic. Like that's now, not a like though that we knew, know how many babies she stole and placed. Like so many Americans probably are not living with their families. Seventy, but we don't know that he's seventy. He could be 72, could be 74. She probably aged him down. She probably, probably aged 80. him down. Made Ric Flair seem like a super smart baby. This not that he wasn't so smart crazy. as a baby. Yeah. I mean, nothing against Ric Flair. Smart guy. Sorry, sorry you got stolen, Rick. <laughs> also, someone stole the K from If you don't make stickers that say, name. sorry, you got stolen, <laughs> I don't even know what this podcast Ric is. Ric Flair's face, sorry, you got stolen. Totally. I feel like that's merch. Wait, you have fans. Fan yeah. art right fan now. Fan art, yeah. Fan Get art. on this. Get us the sorry you were stolen, Ric Flair. <laughs> Ric Flair merch. We need it. Georgia did not abduct all of her products, of course. She trawled every orphanage and children's home in the state in search of fresh child flesh to sell. But once her operation was up and running, her most common source of children were the the maternity wards of local Memphis hospitals. She hired a network of spotters who would hang out waiting for poor young women, particularly single mothers, to go into labor. Dude, it's like ambulance chasers, but like baby chasers. Just looking around for like a a lady with a big baby bump who looks like she doesn't have much money. She's like, I'm just big. Fuck you. I'm not even having a baby. Stop following me. She's just following a heavy set woman for a couple of days. just waiting until she... She's like, uh, please stop. Yeah. Dr. George Lovejoy, who delivered some of those babies, later recalled, quote, I'm sorry, Lovejoy? Lovejoy. You are loving the last names here. The, lo- the last names are kind of their own podcast <laughs> because they're amazing. Behind the ridiculous Dude, names. Dude, Reverend Lovejoy is a fake character on The yeah, Simpsons. he is a fake character. And this character. is a real person named Lovejoy. I think that is a pretty common name. I've run into some Lovejoys. Are you serious? Yeah. I mean, well, it is a silly name, but it's a real one. Where are you from? Texas. Oh, yeah. Probably more love joys out there. Yeah. There's a lot of love joys. Not a lot of love joys in Ukraine or California. No. Which is where I've resided. Not a Ukrainian name. Yeah. No. Yeah. Ukrainifornia. Is there like a Ukrainian neighborhood in town that we could get them to rename? There's a Ukrainian cultural center. They should call the neighborhood Ukrainifornia. (laughs) Leaving money on the table. Yeah. Okay. Second piece of fan art. (laughs) (laughs) Ukraine in the shape of California. Yeah. And it just says Ukrainifornia. It is for three people. (laughs) Yeah. That's that's what we love doing here is is jokes that. That really appeal to no one. Half a basketball team will uh, (laughs) will identify with. Um, Okay. Uh, Dr. George Lovejoy, who delivered many of the babies, later called, quote, Georgia Tan's workers stood outside the door of the delivery room waiting. The minute the baby was born, they would take the papers in and have the mother sign them and the baby would disappear. Now, many of these mothers were still wasted from anesthesia when Georgia's people forced them to sign what were presented as routine papers. This ostensibly medical paperwork was, of course, in reality, a surrender of parental rights. Babies were taken right from their drugged-up mommies and flown to new homes the same day. Part of why Georgia was so successful in this was the fact that she literally changed American culture's attitude towards single moms. 
See, being a single mom has always been difficult, obviously, but for most of American history, there was not a huge stigma attached to it. Husbands died, after all. It was like, you know, fucking there was no medicine back then. But starting in Memphis, Georgia labored to convince courts and the public that single white women should not be allowed to raise their own babies. This is part of why, on the few occasions she was taken to court over it, Georgia nearly always won her cases. No judge was going to take a baby from a rich or middle-class two-parent household and give it to a single poor woman. Damn. Yep. According to the baby My thief, mom would have for sure had me stolen. Yeah. She's a single mom. Yeah, that happened up until very recently, like the 70s in a lot of cases. Fuck. Yeah. According to the baby thief, quote, by the late 1930s, single mothers were not only being prevented from bonding with their babies, but often even from seeing them. Mothers were sometimes blindfolded during labor. Some social workers urged pregnant young women to sign forms allowing doctors to circumcise their child if it turned out to be a boy, so that the workers could keep mothers uninformed of even their baby's gender. By the time adoption became nationally popular in the mid-1940s, the reversal was complete, and for the first time in history, white single mothers were expected to surrender their babies for adoption. That relinquishment was endorsed by leaders of such reputable organizations as the Child Welfare League of America. America, the American Public Welfare Association, the Salvation Army, Catholic Charities, and most psychiatrists and psychologists led dissenting social scientist Clark Vincent to predict a future in which newborns of all white single mothers would be seized by the state. By the 1950s, 90% of white Wait, single... Wait, hold on. Yeah. Can we go back to the fact that they were blindfolded when giving birth? So they couldn't see them. That must have been so terrifying. Yeah. Holy shit. It's already the worst experience. You're yeah. all like drugged up. There's pain. They're going to steal your baby and then, like, they blindfold you? Yeah. That is nuts. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty fucked uh, It's, like, the only game of hide-and-seek you're going to ever play with your baby. Ooh. It's dark, Oh, it's right? so much sadder when you think about it that way. <laughs> I know. But there's no seek. No. It's just a game of hide. It's, it's a one-time peekaboo situation. Yeah. By the 1950s, 90% of white women in maternity homes, which is where poor single women tended to give birth, surrendered their children for adoption. So, Damn. Yeah. Georgia also trawled the various orphanages of Tennessee in search of new inventory. One worker recalled, quote, I can still hear her steps down the hallway and see her funny hats. She had big feet and wore black lace-up shoes. She always went upstairs to see the babies. There would be masses of them one day, and they'd be gone the next. Damn. So, Georgia would take pictures of the best babies, which were usually blonde-haired and blue-eyed, and then send them off to prospective clients. These kids were the lucky ones. You know, the kids who were in genuinely bad situations were often probably helped by Georgia's work, but not always. Uh, while many of Georgia's kids wound up in the hands of wealthy, loving families, she didn't actually do any kind of vetting at all to make sure of that. The only background check was whether or not the new mom and dad had hundreds Orage. of dollars. Yeah. Exactly. Georgia's kids didn't even all end up in families. In 1929, one of them wound up at the University of Tennessee as a ward of the Home Economics Department, serving as oh a... Oh my God! <laughs> know, right? A ward of a school department? <laughs> yeah. Serving as a flesh-and-blood textbook for students. The department changed his name from Richard House to Richard Practice House. What? Yeah. Also, Dick House. What? <laughs> Practice House? Yeah. They were like, just so you don't forget that you're essentially chattel, like, yeah. Let's fucking change your name to Practice yeah. Guy. A lot of the stuff that went on then did definitely verge on child slavery. It's mm. pretty dark. Ooh. For years, Georgia Tan was seen as an authority on child welfare. She was, in essence, America's chief social worker. Eleanor Roosevelt asked her for advice on improving conditions for poor children. She was invited to collaborate. She's like, I know how to do it. I know Just how to do murder it. them all. Let, let me steal or kill them. <laughs> 
She was invited to collaborate on books about adoption and sought out by the likes of the New York Times for her commentary on stories of abuse in children's homes around the country. This was a dark irony, because the reality is that Georgia Tan abused children on a scale and with a viciousness more suited for a concentration camp than an orphanage. Children who were abducted by Georgia would spend weeks, months, or even years in a series of dreadfully crowded boarding homes. These were often just small apartments. A two-bedroom might be filled with as many as ten children. On at least one instance, six infants were found in a single crib. Babies were fed spoiled milk often, because functional refrigerators were not always in the budget. Tens of children would be crammed into spaces condemned by authorities as fire hazards. Georgia refused to pay for medical treatment for kids with syphilis or other contagious diseases. That would have cut into her profit margin. Damn. Yay. Damn. You know what now is a good time for? An ad. Pivot. Products. The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Bean Dad. The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. We're back. I didn't know how how to lead into that ad pivot in a graceful way. Yeah, I don't know if you can gracefully transition from baby murder into products and then back to baby murder, but we're doing it. We're doing it because we're going we're going right back to baby murder. Yeah. Uh, So um, we were talking about how she often would refuse to pay for medical treatment for kids with contagious diseases because, of course, that shit's expensive and you're running a business here. According to the baby thief, quote, she refused to even acknowledge illness in her children and forbade her boarding mothers from summoning medical help. Faced with desperately sick children, however, some boarding mothers panicked and sent them to the hospital. The trip was often made too late. The deaths of most of these babies were presumably recorded and the children buried in the area of Elmwood Cemetery used by her adoption agency. But Georgia disposed of the bodies of children whose deaths she could conceal in less regular ways. A reporter for the Press Scimitar passed Georgia's home one night in the 1940s and saw someone burying something in the backyard. A child, the reporter believed. Former investigator Robert Taylor told me that Georgia had had the local Thompson Brothers funeral home cremate some of the children. Getting rid of the evidence, Taylor said. A grave is proof. Damn. Yeah. Pretty fucked up. (laughs) Charles Carter, a pediatrician who volunteered at the children's home and treated many of Miss Tan's inventory, told Barbara Raymond that Georgia would even overrule his express medical guidance at times. Quote, I had prescribed penicillin and learned later that she'd ordered her nurses to stop giving it to the baby, but continued to chart it as if they were. Georgia Tan simply would not listen. She would say, I'll take your words under advisement, but she never did. She did what she felt best, regardless of what anyone said. She felt she knew the babies and what the babies needed. Plague death. Yeah, plague death. So many of Georgia's children got sick that one hospital in Memphis dedicated an entire ward to taking care of them. A Los Angeles hospital had to do the same thing for the river of sick and dying babies Georgia brought into the city to sell to Hollywood types. By 1932, Memphis, Tennessee had the highest infant death rate of any major American city, mostly thanks to Georgia Tan. Now, we don't know how many babies died in Georgia Tan's care. We do know that in one particularly brutal winter, the winter of 1945, as many as 50 babies died in the children's home alone. Babies died when they were left out in the sun unattended. Some died within days of arriving in their adoptive homes because no care had been taken to make sure they were fed or medicated in the days and weeks before transit. In at least one case, Georgia Tan abducted a set of premature twins and removed them from the hospital before they were stable. Both twins died. In total, it's estimated that as many as 500 babies died in Georgia Tan's care. The real death toll may be even higher, perhaps much higher. Yeah, that's kind of what it seems. 500 doesn't seem right. It seems like she might have killed a couple thousand babies. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. yeah. If 500 is kind of the minimum. Like, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't even make sense. And if you're saying about someone, they killed at least 500 babies kind of i can't really imagine much worse like the only other people you can say that about are usually like concentration camp guards like yeah yeah like when you talk about that many dead babies that's so many dead babies or people that orchestrate like specifically genocide yeah yeah yeah. like it's georgia tan and genocide committers i know it's i mean she's a death all-star yeah definitely an achiever Jeez, overachiever. People ask a lot, you know, you should cover more women bastards on the show, which we're doing, but it's Georgia Tan. (laughs) She belongs on the list. 
Yeah, man. She's she's right up there. She's right up there. She's one of the worst people I've heard about. So, question. Is she single? Yeah. Well, no, actually. Uh, she had a partner who was, I think, on paper her secretary because she, you know, she was yeah. a lesbian. But did she um, help murder the babies? Probably right. Yeah. We don't, we, not, I mean, not that I know of, but probably, probably right. Yeah. Um, I don't know how you wouldn't be aware of that if your girlfriend's like yeah. heavy into murder. And the it probably idea, seeps into your relationship. And from what little we know about it, it seems like it was a pretty abusive relationship. Georgia was definitely the dominant one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. and uh, It would be a shocker if you were like, she was the abused one. I'd mm-hmm. be like, oh, my God, she's that's what she's taken out on the babies. Yeah. But clearly something happened to her, right? When her her she was dad young. was pretty domineering and a dick and like wouldn't let her be a lawyer and stuff. Yeah, but yeah. that that doesn't lead to baby murder. I just no. mean like do you think she was abused to have like a weird preoccupation with babies like that? Yeah, I think she was abused. I think um she got addicted to like the sense of setting these babies up with somebody and I think it I think it, some of it is just like, you know, she came from this period of time where you didn't really give that much of a shit about babies in like the 1890s. Like, you know, I think people like thinking of themselves as a good person, even when they're doing terrible things. So she probably was like, I am saving these babies. Mm -hmm. And she really believed it. And she thought the ones that died, well, they would have grown up poor and that's worse than death. Right. Exactly. Or what does it matter? Yeah. Or like they were supposed to die. Yeah. I mean, you can say anything to yourself when you're like trying to justify some fucked up shit. You really can. I say that shit when I'm like getting, you know, like an extra fucking Taco Bell thing that I don't need. (laughs) It's like, you know, it's it's really close to baby murder, basically. Yeah, you, you, Taco Bell. you didn't need Taco Bell uh, sponsored the show, and yeah. we will stop comparing your products to murdering babies. No, 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 it's way better. It's Taco Bell better than killing a baby. Ding! That's a slogan right there. It sells some fucking again merch. Mm-hmm. I'm just coming up with all these merch ideas, yeah. and I feel like you should pay me. So. Mm-hmm. Thank you. We'll let you know if the Taco Bell people reach out. Yeah, I they, think they're ha- going to have to. I think that they're really going to like this. This is a unbeatable yeah. ad campaign. Yeah, yeah. Better than murdering a baby. So, uh, one of the babies that Georgia Tan murdered was the daughter of Alma Sipple. In the spring of 1946, Miss Sipple moved to Memphis with her infant daughter and two-year-old son. Her boyfriend, Julius Talos, was in the military and had just left for Panama. They planned to marry. Alma later recalled, quote, we were so crazy about each other, it didn't matter if we were married or not. So, six weeks after moving to Memphis, Alma was visited by a representative of the Children's Home Society named Georgia Tan. Georgia said she was looking into allegations of child abuse against one of Alma's neighbors. So at first, Alma thought nothing was wrong, at least not with her. The next day, Georgia Tan returned in her large black limo. This time, she had questions about the child's father, questions Alma Sipple could not comfortably answer. Next, according to the New York Post, quote, The woman looked at Irma, who had a runny nose, and said, Your baby's sick, isn't she? You should get her a checkup. Sipple explained that she had no money for a doctor, so the woman generously offered to take the child to the Memphis General Hospital. Looking back, Sipple wonders at her own naivete. How how did I mess up so bad? I guess she knew the dumb ones. Still, she had been worried about her baby's health, and she'd assumed that she would go with them to the hospital, so she had signed a piece of paper. When Tan had told her it would be impossible for her to go along, Sipple remembers, I had a weird feeling, but I thought, well, you've got to trust somebody. The paper, oh, that's so sad. Yeah. Paper was, of course, a surrender of parental rights. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Sipple's baby went along with Georgia Tan, and that was the last Alma ever saw of her. When she showed up at the children's ward of the hospital the next day to inquire as to her child's status, the nurse told her, you don't have a baby in there. Those children belong to the Children's Home Society. 
For days, Alma Sipple called the children's home and Georgia Tan. No one answered until weeks later, Georgia picked up and told her that her daughter had died of pneumonia, in the same sort of way you might tell someone a carton of eggs had broken. Being a human, Alma said that she wanted to bury her child. Georgia told her that would not be possible, saying the state had put her daughter away. After that, Alma says, I guess I went crazy. She left the other children in her mother's charge and went to Memphis to find her baby's grave. She never located it because, of course, Georgia Tan never bothered to give her baby a grave. Cool. Fun story. You got a joke to... To liven this up? Liven that one up? Nah. Well, I guess it's time for another ad pivot. (laughs) Oh, I mean, this baby murdering story was always... Could it be a rough one to to pivot to products with? (laughs) Buy stuff! But not, not babies. No, the no. only thing you should not buy is babies. Buy is people. Yeah. <laughs> Grown up or small. Grown you know? up or let's small. Just, let's put it, I don't want to. Don't buy people. Yeah, I'm not trying to be, you know, all uh, controversial. Yeah, not I trying to be like... anti-capitalist here. Just, yeah. Maybe don't buy people. No, it's probably, <laughs> maybe, it's probably a good rule of thumb. Maybe keep that line. Products! The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Bean Dad. The Dress. 30 to 50 feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus, where every week I take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who were they? What made them so notorious? Why did the internet choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? I'll be talking to internet historians, experts, and yes, the main characters themselves to get a fuller picture. Because I think that even outside individual experiences, a character of the day tells us something about how the internet worked at that time and how the attention economy developed into the freaky three-headed dragon it is today. Together, we probably won't be able to properly log out, but we can take a walk down scary internet memory lane and see one day a little more clearly. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Are you ready to fight back against crime? Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies, personally investigating, prosecuting, and covering literally thousands of cases. It's so easy to think it will never happen to me or my family, but that is simply not true. 
Every day on Crime Stories with Nancy Grace, we shine a light on unsolved homicides, heat up cold cases, and help find missing people, especially children. We speak with family members, investigators, CSI, reporters, and experts in every field. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. We're back! Whew. Good products, solid services. Let's get back to talking about horrible things. Baby murder. Now, at this point, I'll bet you might think something along the lines of Georgia Tan couldn't possibly get any worse. Well, straw man listener, you are dumb for thinking that. Of course she can get worse. In addition to stealing thousands of babies and killing is hundreds of them. This is where the molestation them, comes This in? is where the molestation comes in. Yep. Yeah. I was waiting for that. Yeah, she molested a bunch of babies. Yeah. One of her victims, as a 54-year-old man from Memphis, you know, Oh, she molested later. boy babies? Yeah, yeah, it seems like it. Uh, oh, see, this is interesting. Mm-hmm. I think both genders. Uh, oh, what, yeah, sometimes people who molest molest really young, so yeah. it's not much of a difference. Not much of, of a difference. She just wants them to be probably, like, helpless. Yeah, I think that's so probably sad. a bigger part of it. Uh, so one of her victims, uh, you know, decades later, is a 54-year-old man, uh, claimed he and his twin brother were molested by Georgia when they were eight. He told the Daily Pantograph, quote, We remember being in a big bed, stripped naked. Georgia Tan and some other people were there reaching for us and kissing us and touching us where we shouldn't be touched. Sexual assault and physical assault sort of blended together for many of Georgia's victims. One of them, a young girl named Mary, recalled Georgia beating her with a wooden spoon in a bathroom. She squatted over me, gouging me. She seemed like a giant. She was sadistic, evil. I thought of her as the devil. Damn. Another adoptee, five years old at the time of the abuse, recalled to Barbara Raymond that, Yes, sexual abuse at the hands of Georgia Tan was very true, and it was presented as your favor. She says the abuse occurred in a gorgeous room. I remember the shock of the room, so overwhelming and beautiful. I remember being told to come sit in her lap. I keep trying to block it all out, but it keeps coming. It's caused me a lot of problems. You won't find a whole lot of healthy adults who went through there. Now, over the course of this podcast, I've referred to Georgia's children as products and inventory several times. This was not a joke on my part. Georgia Tan's own lawyer called them products. He wrote to one of her clients in 1944, It is not often we have the good luck that we have in your case, namely of having the merchandise in hand to stock and deliver to you immediately. This is a baby he was talking about. On an occasion in which he couldn't fulfill an order, he told another client, This is one business in which we can never tell when we can fill an order. You know, you just never know. Just hold on a second until we steal another baby. Yeah. Human babies were treated very much as commodities in this industry. As the baby thief records, quote, Blue eyes were a decided advantage, as was female gender. Baby girls are more feminine, alluring. They are grand little self-advisors, and they know instinctively how to strut their stuff. They stretch out their dimpled arms, gurgle Whoa. at some secret baby joke, blow air bubbles from moist Cupid's bow, bow mouths, and women and strong men grow mad, become besotted with ad- adoration, and want to kidnap them on the spot. The author contended that males with the wrong hair color were at a distinct disadvantage. If a boy is redheaded, his chance of finding a new mama or papa is practically zero. Nobody wants him at all. 
I mean, we were joking about that. Yeah. But that's fucked up. That's super fucked up. Brandon, a young child abducted by Georgia Tan, later recalled what it was like being abducted for sale. Quote, we were herded into the car and brought back to Memphis. When we got there, they dropped my two brothers off at another holding place, and they took me to the house on Poplar. I remember the parties, where they would dress up the children and take them downstairs for a meet and greet. Some of the children would come back, some wouldn't. Cool. Virginia Simmons, one of the babies sold by Georgia Tan, later recalled that she felt like she was ordered, like, quote, out of a Sears Roebuck catalog. When she developed scoliosis, her new mother rejected her, saying, I spent a lot of money on you, and you're such a disappointment. If I knew you were going to develop that crooked back, I would never have picked you out. Wow. Cool. All told, Georgia is suspected of arranging, at minimum, 5,000 adoptions. In her career, she built the bones of the modern adoption system that persists nationally and worldwide today. In the mid-40s, she was diagnosed with uterine cancer, which would kill her in 1950. This coincided with the gradual collapse of her adoption empire. For one thing, Boss Crump's influence had started to crumble in this period. <laughs> Crump's political nemesis, Gordon Browning, had been elected governor in 1948. He'd gone after Georgia Tan as a way to attack his political boss, enemy. Boss Crump crumbled. Boss Crump crumbles? Yeah. Thank that you for that has that. to have been a newspaper headline. Yeah. Boss Crump crumbles? Uh, yeah, 100%. 100%. I think it's crazy that she, okay, obviously crazy that she molested those kids, but. Mm -hmm. That one kid said there were other people in the room molesting with her. Yeah. So, like, she clearly arranged these, like, yeah. weird sex parties where, like, her children could get abused, like, en masse. That's, it, like... Yeah. That's fucking crazy. Yeah. And it was also one of the things that's... the the, the And the baby thief makes a good point of pointing this out, is that in this period of time at orphanages and stuff, an awful lot and perhaps most of the employees, and, like, you're talking about the 30s, 40s, 50s, molested the kids. Like, that yeah. was kind of, like, why you do a job that terrible. Yeah. Like, that, because it's, like... A little bonus for you. Yeah, it's, you're a pedophile. This is 100%, like, a, like a Lifetime series. Yeah. You know? Like, they did that They did that one about that lady who, with the Munchausen syndrome. Oh, God, the, um, um... Yeah, I know the one you're talking yeah, about, the lady who, Yeah, this is like, yeah. very much this. Like, this yeah. definitely should be a multi-part story, because this is so crazy. It's one of those things. It should be, but also, like... I don't know how many people are going to be able to listen to all of this how episode. It is. Yeah, I don't like it's just so dark. Yeah. Like ugh. Yeah. Yeah, you would only want to watch that movie if there's like serious comeuppance. Yeah. Yeah. You, and, and uterine cancer is like kind of a weird ironic cancer to have. It is ironic. In yeah. The situation. But I say that as a breast cancer survivor. Yeah. My my cancer was not ironic. It was just straight no. up. But hers, that's super ironic. Every that, now and then, cancer gets it right. Yeah. <laughs> For real. Yeah. For real. Now, uh, as Georgia was in the later stages of her cancer, Governor Browning appointed a special investigator to look into her child abduction work. The case was announced in September of 1950, less than a month before her death. It was the sort of justice you can expect from politicians, late enough to avoid any real conflict or mm -hmm. controversy. Most of the allegations against Georgia had to do with her improper allocation of the funds she had made through adopting out children. They not, only care about the money. They only cared about the money, not her mass kidnapping, rape, or all the dead babies. Yeah. After Tan's sounds death... Sounds like America. Sounds like America, right? After Tan's death, Justice Kelly retired from her, her, the judgeship. She was protected from prosecution until her death in 1955. 
Great. George's life has had a number of longstanding impacts. For one thing, the concept of adoption was normalized on a national level. The shame around it was gone, which was an objectively good thing. However, another holdover from Georgia Tan's uh, career is the fact that adoption records were sealed and adopted children were held back from knowing the identities of their birth parents. In many parts of the United States, the law still works this way. A holdover from the era of Georgia Tan, because it made it easier for her to sell and abduct and molest babies. Has any That's work the, been done in trying to locate all the kids? Yeah. It, a lot of that work has been done, some by, like, the kids themselves. There's a lot of people who have tracked down their own history. Uh, Barbara Raymond, the author of The Baby Thief, did a lot of that work and, like, has done very good journalism to try and put it together. It's one of those things, it will, will never have a comprehensive list because there was... No, of course. Because it was a criminal enterprise. Yeah, she yeah. specifically hid a lot of the things yeah. so you wouldn't be able to figure out. But I just feel like, what what a crazy thing to grow up and then find yeah. out that you were one of the babies that was abducted. Whether yeah. you had a nice life with your parents or not, it would still flip you out to find something like that out. Yeah, and I, I didn't include a lot of the stories that she does in The Baby Thieves about what these people, like these ba- stolen babies, like like the trauma they dealt with as adults but like a lot of them their lives were just fucked because they 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 were old enough that they remembered being ripped from their mom's arms they were five or six when it happened and they spent the whole their whole lives trying to like find their parents again and yeah then like they would turn out their mom had died or whatever um it's just it's just it's just terrible it's just the worst like i said this might be the most depressing episode of the show we ever do i have trouble imagining like obviously someone recovering from this or, yeah, I have trouble imagining, like, a worse tale than this tale of Georgia Tan and what she did. Yeah. Like, there's even, like, obviously, like, on an objective, like, level of scale, stuff like a concentration camp is worse and bigger and involved a lot more people. But on, like, a level of human evil, there's something about Georgia Tan specifically that's so wretched. Um, it's it's really hard well, I think talk like talk about yeah, yeah. Murder obviously is terrible, but when you think about like child, like babies yeah. being murdered, uh, who you know are the most innocent yeah. of what we have, then it is like a different level. Yeah, and then yeah, when you add the slavery and the molestation into it, and you think about how many people it because it broke up families it didn't just Thousands break the, of them yeah, yeah break the children it broke the moms the dads yeah you're talking and their and their siblings like you're yeah, talking talking not, ma- mass mass generational yeah. trauma that yeah. you're like that's your legacy yeah. essentially tens of thousands of victims you know if you're, ta- if you're talking about five thousand babies stolen tens of thousands of victims it's yeah and i mean probably those numbers are low too probably those numbers are very low yeah that's it, it, these nuts. are just best estimates yup and I mean, I feel like there's kind of a weird, interesting level of maybe sexism um, that plays into it where it's like women maybe are given more leeway in things like this because they're like, well, women are natural caretakers, caregivers. Yeah. Women are naturally maternal. Women naturally are drawn to children. So I feel like then when you have like a woman who's like heading and spearheading a campaign and is like, I'm doing this and I'm helping babies, I think people are more likely to believe her. Or something because of that level of, like, women are natural. Yeah. You're getting two sides of sexism there. Because she's able to get away with it because of this idea that, like, you know, she's a woman doing this is what they should be doing. She knows what's best for these kids. But also they're getting taken from single mothers because single mothers are seen as incapable of raising. Like, it's it's this, like, double-edged sword of sexism. Yeah. I mean, it hurts everybody. And also when you think about the fact that, like, who knows what would have happened if she had been allowed to be... A lawyer, right? That's Jesus also another Christ. level if of she sexism. She just been like a yeah. fucking prosecutor. Maybe she just would have been terrible on a smaller scale yeah. without baby murder. But also, like, you just 
you don't know. And the fact that like she has that abuse thing and mm-hmm. whatever, it's like, who knows what the fuck her dad did to her? Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, he was he was domineering. He was but domineering. who knows? There might have been like a level of like he molested her and then yeah. that fucked her up for the rest of her life. And I feel like, uh, yeah, just like the amount of sexism and not trusting women also yeah. and letting people the signing away of parental rights and then having women have mm. no power to get them back. Like, yeah, it's all a weird sexism goes both ways yeah. in a really weird way in the story. It's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Sophia. Also, sorry, but I think it's crazy that no one talks about this. I know, right? Right? How what? is this the first time? I and this is actually I should give some credit to. I for, a couple of different fans have independently suggested that I look into Georgia Tan for some time. Yeah, that's and, an that's incredible story. Yeah, I can't believe we didn't. I didn't I know that. Never heard of this lady before. Right? That, and it's fucking nuts. And she's like a big building block in our society. Yeah, she that's so nuts. Built the modern system of adoption. And no by ever talks stealing about babies, <laughs> yeah. Which, like, adoption, I think, is objectively one of the best things you can do. You know, yeah, giving, of giving a kid a family, uh, but, but not this way. <laughs> not like SVU <laughs> yeah. style. Yeah, not like ordering them out of a catalog, being like, oh, "I'd like a blonde." Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, that's, that's rough. Sorry, Ric Flair. Oh my God! Also, has Ric Flair ever talked about this? I don't know because. Uh, Oh my God, can we please reach out to him and be like, this is crazy, Ric Flair. What do you think? I mean, part of me is like, if he if he's lucky enough to not remember it, I probably wouldn't want to like push on somebody to like look into that part of their past. Like, and it wasn't bad. Like, You're afraid uh, of upsetting Ric Flair. I, I mean, that's a tough thing to have in your background. Ric Flair's a wrestler, but he's still a person. <laughs> I'm not saying he's not a person, but I'm saying like, Maybe it would also bring him peace to talk about it. Yeah. If Ric Flair wants to come on the show Please, and talk Flair, about this is so crazy. being abducted as a baby, like, yeah. We are. We'd love to talk to you. Yeah. But, I'm, and also, on any listeners that have listened to this, they're like, this was part of my family or something. They should reach out. Because what an insane thing. suspect at least one person is going to be like, oh, shit. <laughs> my grandma or my, my mom yeah. or whatever. Like. And I'm sure, like, at a certain point, when you find that out, you want to find all the people that, that this has happened to because it's such a particular yeah. uh, awful thing that you kind of want to have a sense of belonging to somewhere to talk to somebody about it that knows what it's like. Well, and one of the things that occurs to me now is that, you know, Georgia Tan, we're looking at her victim count is around 5,000 or so, but, like, she is the reason why for decades it was the norm to just take babies from single women when they give birth. So really, yeah. like, that's maybe even a couple of million that's, that's, victims. Yeah, that's a horrible like, I don't know how many women legacy. that happened to, but that's insane. Yeah. Like, I didn't know that was just the norm for yeah. until pretty recently. Like, not when I was, like, but when my parents were young adults, like, they, they might have given birth to me, you know, they, they, like the doctor who delivered me, might have delivered babies a few years earlier and handed them straight to an adoption agency, basically. Like, that's fucking wild. Yeah, that's crazy. Cool. Have fun, everyone. Have Have a great day. All of this information. Now you're ready to take on the rest of your day. Feeling positive yeah i know a lot of people listen to the show in my car on the way home driving to work and it's you're gonna have a lot of dead-eyed people in work today thinking about all the babies george has stolen murdered and molested we're all all sorry about that sorry you know what podcast is i warned people up front you did i did you you gave a trigger warning i did that this is the only time i've done that um i mean i feel like i'm triggered yeah (laughs) 
a little bit, feeling a little sad. Feel like you should be after this. Yeah. Do some aftercare. Listen to, I still don't know what the show is, but the name Come Town makes me laugh. (laughs) (laughs) And the the Come Boys. (laughs) Um, I'm just going to make myself come after this. That's the only way to recover. That is the better I want the glow, that post-masturbatory glow Mm -hmm. to envelop me and to obscure any negativity from this wipe out the horror of georgia tan's existence yeah and i've said that like i'm for sure gonna remember her name yeah yeah it'll be stuck in everybody's head just Son like of it. <gasps> no but we got to think about rufus raspberry rufus raspberry that's that's the uh walk away the... with that rufus raspberry boss crumb yeah we got boss some crumb, rufus raspberry yeah think about that yeah god it does sound like an old tv show yeah <laughs> All right, uh, Sophia, you want to plug them pluggables? Sure. Um, find me on Twitter and Instagram at the Sophia T H E so F I Y A, and uh, I co-host a podcast called Private Parts Unknown, where we talk about love and sexuality around the world. So come listen to that. C U M. C U M. I'm uh, Robert Evans, probably, and I have a website, BehindTheBastards.com. You can find us on the Twinstagram at at BastardsPod. I'm doing that from now on, so if you're calling them the Twinstagram, it's the way it's going to work. We sell shirts, uh, tpublic.com, for Behind the Bastards. Buy a shirt, buy uh, buy stickers, cups, hand grenades. You you can buy an It Could Happen Here shirt if you want uh, people to know that it it could happen here. That's a good thing to do. We'll probably have other shirts soon. Um, Tweet at us with ideas. Podcasts, good times. Uh, I love, uh, let's say, 90% of you. I feel like like we need to up that in light of how depressing this all is. Goodbye! Bean Dad, The Dress, 30 to 50 Feral Hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online. And hey, I do too. 16th Minute of Fame is a new weekly podcast hosted by me, Jamie Loftus. And every week we take a closer look at an internet character of the day. Who are they? What made them so notorious? How did the internet or the algorithm choose them? And what does a person do when they're suddenly confronted with more attention than the human psyche can handle? Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now, this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi guys, Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. 
I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.